Welcome to episode 25 of The Process. Go hard. I am Monte Martin. Today we have Miss Bree Hill on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Bree. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell the listeners about where you're from? I currently reside in Lubbock, Texas. I moved around quite a bit, but mostly stationed in Houston, Texas. Would you consider Houston home? I would. That's where we, we take all our holidays and our family reunites in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Uh, what major struggles did you face growing up uh, in Houston or, or, you know, moving around? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I've touched a few states. So um, met you in Florida, you know, uh, Monty. And then I also lived in California. Um, after I was born, we moved straight to California. So I lived there for 10 years, lived in Houston for a little bit, uh, moved to Florida and then back to Houston. And then at that point, I graduated, went to school in Arizona and then transferred back to Texas. So I would say the greatest struggles that I suffered um, was just that nomadic lifestyle and creating meaningful, meaningful relationships throughout those journeys. You know, I look at my husband and he has friendships since he was in the first grade. and I just can't relate to that. And so um, definitely the, the struggle to, to establish meaningful relationships and to sustain those going on in my adult life. And then just identity, trying to find out where, where Brie Hill fits into the equation. And at the time, Brie Brown. So uh, just a young girl trying to find her way. How, how is that? You know, I think even thinking about, you know, you met me in Florida, but even in Florida, I had my own uh, struggles, you know, just growing up a single parent home, either with my grandparents or my mom. And just, you know, I, I didn't move state to state, but I moved house to house, if that makes any sense. So, Absolutely. You know, just trying to find yourself and where you fit in. I totally understand that. Could you speak more more on that? You know, what, what was it like? You know, what was it like? Yeah, so, you know, uh, multiple factors. Um, being a, a multi-ethnicity, uh, that, that factors into it trying to figure out which group I belong to. Am I African-American? Am I, am I Asian? Am I uh, Caucasian? You know, just trying to find a group um, to, to hang out with, to kick it with, so to speak. Um, I would say that 
my athletics is what sustained me because that was the the very balance and that was the common factor in every um, region that I lived in. So whether I was in Florida, California, or Texas, basketball was a thing. Um, and those are pretty savvy sports states anyhow. So uh, that really helped me find connections though they weren't long, long term. Um, but it's difficult, you know, you're, you're getting acclimated to a place and that particular culture, and then you get picked up and told, hey, we're, we're heading out, we're going to this place. And it wasn't as though my parents were militant, you know. Um, my dad did retire from the Air Force. I was born in San Antonio. We moved to California because they needed reprieve from their um, immediate family. And so just trying to figure out that, that lifestyle in California being young and um, even going from private school to, to, a, to a public school. So not only did I change states, but I also changed schools in particular areas. So, you know, you, you get the hang of the, the schedule and the programs, you get familiar with some friends and then you move again or you change neighborhoods. And so um, that was extremely difficult trying to find connection and, and trying to find value in friendships for sure. And then, you know, when you leave, um, connecting with them, you know, I was young, I didn't have cell phones. And so it wasn't as if um, I had a bunch of stamps available and the perfect penmanship either. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it was pretty difficult. It was pretty difficult. I can see, I can see that can be difficult. Um, yeah, I remember uh, I met you in Florida. We used to play basketball with you all the time. <laughs> uh, you and your dad. Uh, so were you good at basketball? I am biased, but I would say yes. Um, I put in work early, early on. I started on my first team in third grade. And so uh, it was always a thing in my household. In fact, I shoot left-handed. I'm actually right-handed, but my dad's left-handed. That'll tell you how early I learned and who I learned from. So um, yes, it was, it, I was, I was talented, enough, uh, talented enough to get financial assistance in college. So you got, you got a scholarship to play basketball. Where did you go? Um, and how was your transition from, you know, moving around, playing basketball at different, I guess, different schools to settling at one university? Man, so uh, you you and I both know that it begins in high school. AAU is huge. That's, that's typically where the scouts come and, and you get that visibility. Um, it was hard because I was moving around. And so I spark attention and then I disappear. And so I um, had to be very intentional about the AAU teams that I participated in and, and finances were a factor. And so, you know, I couldn't be on the elite teams where they traveled everywhere because the cost was too significant. Um, but I didn't want to be on the terrible team either because they didn't get any looks and didn't make it into any quality tournaments. So that was hard, you know, finding tape and getting tape um, and film was was difficult and, and I praise my dad for that he was really um, faithful and, and, di and diligent in getting that for me but um, you know even when I transferred to Florida I was a sophomore so I trans I was I was on varsity in Texas uh, as a sophomore transferred and was on varsity in Tallahassee but I had to sit out a few games because that's the right thing to do you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm the new girl you can't just jump on the on the on the court and so I lost a few games where I couldn't get filmed and it started even then my sophomore year. And so uh, that was a deficit to me. And then again, just not getting the same visibility as some of my peers who were considered cream of the crop in Houston um, because I had left. So um, I did wind up going back to Houston, um, was invited to a, a con uh, I'm sorry, a tournament called cream of the crop and it was the best talent in age and um, was seen and got some visibility there. I had a junior college full ride scholarship to McLennan and had originally signed there because I needed to go somewhere and home wasn't an option, right? I don't know if that was 
like that for y'all, but it was either Air Force boots or Nikes. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I chose the Nike route. They fit better. And um, yeah, I ended up signing last minute to Northern Arizona University. And I and that was my dream. I pursued Division One. That's what I wanted. And, and the Lord did give me that opportunity to play D1 basketball my freshman year. Awesome. So you talked about, you know, finding friendships and, you know, stability within friendships. Um, how was that transition from a social aspect from, you know, high school to college? It was rough. Okay, so not only did I not have the, the longevity of friendships and the cliques per se, um, but because I was more of an elite athlete, there was a lot of opposition. There was a lot of jealousy. And so, you know, you that comes with it um, and, and things that I'm unable to do. So my parents didn't let me go to the roller skating rink because I might twist my ankle. Um, they didn't let me go um, to the field and play on senior day with the with the water balloons because I could step in a pothole. So, you know, I had, they were my insurance <laughs> for, for um, my ability and my talents. And so there was a lot of uh, opposition just with my teammates at the time, um, you know, trying to measure me. I'm better than her. I can get that same opportunity. And so it gets ugly. I don't know. I don't know how it is in men's athletics, but um, it can get catty with the women sometimes. Um, and so, you know, I had to deal with that and uh, just really just trying to find my way and do things differently because I did have to stand out. So, Brianna, how was the transition moving around from uh, public school to private school to public school to private school? And what were the struggles? So my only opportunity with moving from private to public happened in elementary school, and that was in California. And I will tell you that was different because, you know, I started off school in, pri in a private setting. And so I thought that's the way the world was. I remember one incident where across the street was a, was a public school and we had a mutual park in between. And I remember one day I was swinging on a swing and this kid was swinging the one that was empty next to me. And I thought, man, these public school kids are bad. And I just didn't understand it. I was really ignorant um, because I, I knew how we were supposed to behave and the expectations at a private school, but I didn't understand it um, at a public school until I went and became that for myself. Um, I also would say that academically, you know, that the classroom size and the ratio was so intimate that I was well um, ahead of my peers in elementary school when I transitioned in third grade. And so, you know, that was different is I, I would finish all my assignments and then have idle time. So I found myself getting in trouble for talking too much. So, um, yeah, it was, it was different, you know, in terms of um, just expectations and the, the amount of information that I was able to obtain in that setting. Brianna, what major struggle did you face going into college? Ooh-wee, so college, that's where <laughs> um, everything broke loose. I'd say I was no longer, and my dad will tell you, he had me on a leash and he's, he's unashamed, but um, I was on a leash and I found myself in this unmerited freedom and I took full advantage of it. Um, because I was sheltered and because a lot of decisions were made for me, likely the better ones, right? Um, I found myself making not so good decisions and tolerating a lot of things that I just never would have when I was back at home. Um, my teammates would call me a goody two shoes in high school. Oh, Brie, when you go to college, you're gonna go buck wild. And I would just deny it. No, I won't. I am brown. I will never. And sure enough, freshman year day one, uh, <laughs> went out there and lost my everlasting mind. Just. I guess dabbling in things that, again, I just wouldn't tolerate or necessarily invite when I was back at home. But 
now that everything was before me and it's a little bit more liberal out there in Arizona, um, you know, I, I wasn't making the wisest decisions. In fact, not having meaningful relationships and not having um, made many decisions for myself um, caused me to surround myself with people that were not healthy for me. And being the kind girl that I was, I was I was much of a people pleaser in that I liked to be liked and I liked to support other people. And so I found myself um, in an extreme situation where I had involved myself in, in a homosexual relationship. Um, that all started befriending someone who was having um, relationship issues and it was my teammate. You know, these are the people that you spent a lot of time with. College athletics, that's all you do. You lift weights, you do study hall, you um, do any kind of conditioning, you're traveling, you're in classes at the same time. So a lot of um, being surrounded by these same people. And so um, things got really unhealthy really quickly. And uh, that was just one of those things that came out of the, who are you? And, and when I went off to college, I can be honest and say, I, I had no clue. How did you and your husband meet? So uh, my, my person, <laughs> we met when I transferred Western State. He had transferred a year prior to that from Cisco Juco. He played college football. And like I told y'all before, I played college basketball. So NAU didn't work out. Um, the coach that ended up recruiting me there did not stay. And so, you know, it, it changes the, the momentum of things when the guy that, that wanted you is no longer there. So I ended up transferring um, to Midwestern State. And at the time, I was vaguely familiar with Micah Hill. We had a lot of mutual friends. Um, but I, I never <laughs> gave him the time of day. Um, in fact, um, at one point or another, we didn't even like each other because he was very aware of my uh, my lifestyle decisions at the time and he didn't come into agreement with it. He was really good friends with my teammates and they would, you know, send the message and I just did, I wasn't here for it. And so I messaged him one day and I just pretty much told him how I felt about his opinion. And, and he responded back and he, he kind of clapped back at me in the most like holy way. I didn't understand it at the time, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it took some time for me to come into my own. And I'd say that the Lord uh, presented a friend to me at the time and, and she was more on her, on her Jesus, I would say. And I wasn't, and I was still stubborn. And she would mention things to me and say, well, you know, maybe one day you and I um, will have husbands that are pastors and then we'll have double date lunches. And I was like, yeah, negative. And so I think that was the very comment that struck me. I'll tell you that night I went to sleep and this was after three years of just doing the absolute most and I went to sleep that night and I hadn't talked to my parents they had completely cut severances with me we were done I was um, my own on my own in terms of taxes and everything loans no support for my parents because they absolutely did not agree with my lifestyle and so um, I went to sleep that night and didn't sleep so you know how we now recognize that though our flesh sleeps our soul is wide awake um, I I was very aware of the scripture and I had tried to deny it many, many times where it specifically states that it's just not tolerated, um, that it is sin to engage in homosexual lifestyle. And so I woke up that morning and something it triggered and I, and I changed. I, it was a 180. It was the most miraculous thing the Lord has ever done to me and for me, um, thus far in my walk. And, and I called my dad and I said, dad, it's over. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm done. And, and that was a breaking point. So, um, I had completely, I mean, it was, it was done, done. And that was it. And after that, I still engaged in other sins. So I, I had, you know, interactions with, with drugs and, and things like that. I was truly just trying to find my way. And I will say that 
all the while Micah Hill, who's my husband, knew about it, was aware and watching me from a distance. So one day, as I'm getting my life together, slowly but surely, he was leading FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes on Midwestern's campus. And he was a GA at this point. So he coaches um, collegiate football now. But he was a GA at the time at Midwestern. They had bumped him up from a player to now staff. And I messaged him on Facebook and I said, hey, you know, um, is it just for current athletes? Because I'll tell you, my final year of basketball, I just stopped. I quit life. I um, never got back with my coach and I said, I'm not coming back. So needless to say, um, that, that, that road was not pretty. Um, so I messaged him and he says, yeah, it's open to everybody. I never respond to him, but I show up that night at seven o'clock and uh, it was a lecture hall. So I'm swinging in the chair and he walks in and I'm like, oh my gosh, I looked at him and again, something just changed. I was like, Micah Hill, Micah Hill. And uh, that's <laughs> that's how that changed. And I, my roommate at the time, I, I went home that night and I reached out to her. I said, tell Mike, I want to talk to him. And mind y'all, this is the first time I had ever reached out to anybody in pursuance. You know, I never pursued anybody in my life, uh, but I just had to have Micah Hill. And so <laughs> he reaches back out to me and says, you know, he says the right thing, the, the professional thing right because <laughs> he's leading FCA he says if you need anybody to talk to you know I I'm always available it was very politically correct and and I said to my friend she I said I don't, I don't think he understands like I want to talk to him and so at that point we just started courting um, one of the biggest things that happened in our relationship he told me that he tested me I didn't know I was taking a test y'all but um, <laughs> evidently I was taking a test because he had asked me he said um, he was we were in my living room we didn't do anything in my bedroom we were always in the living room where it was a safe place and we had curfew um, and so he said to me when was the last time you smoked and I was like hold that thought and I ran to my room and I went and got my planner and I pulled out and I said this was the last day I smoked and so long story short the next day he says you passed and he said my homeboy had told me that you were just in Dallas and he told me what y'all were up to and that was the last time he had seen you and was fully aware that you were involved in that and that date lines up with exactly what he said and so you know I mean it was just the way things happened were so divine um, I passed all my tests <laughs> we're married five years happily <laughs> but, um, but that was this is the same man that watched me go through um, hell, who watched me at the valley and waited to pursue me so that he could invite me into this place where he was at the peak of the mountain. And so I'll forever, forever love my husband for, for choosing me. I always tell him, babe, you chose me. There's a difference between liking someone, loving someone and choosing someone. That man chose me. From your college experience, what does trust in the process mean to you? Man, from my college experience, where so much of the world was exposed to me as is. Um, I would say that it's finding him in the small things. You know, I trusted the process when I felt, you know, I had stopped playing ball my, my senior year. And so I, I picked up work at Buffalo Wild Wings as a server. And I felt pressed to buy a Bible, my, my first Bible. And so in doing so, I was, I was running food trays. And what that means is you're not actually taking tables that day, but you're running food out. And each server tips you out. And so I had earlier that day went to Mardell's and purchased a Bible that was 40 bucks. Typically on a night of running tables or running food, I would earn $60. Well, that night after buying my Bible and going to work, I had earned $100. So he literally paid for my Bible and gave me the fair amount that I typically make every night. That was the only night that I had ever made $100 doing that service. And so 
It looks like trusting him when you're still messed up. It looks like trusting him when things are uncertain and unclear and you're still not sure, but you know that you're being led and you're being pulled to this thing called peace. That's just undeniable. Um, it looks like the servers around you buying you your first non-slip shoes because you couldn't afford them when you first started working. It looks like you um, just doing the right thing and, and, and it's called integrity. It's when no one else is watching, you're doing the right thing and your dad shows up back to Wichita Falls and gives you the car that he took away when you first stepped out. Um, and so trust in the process just means being redeemed and allowing him to, to renew you and to, and to begin that perfect work that he initially intended you intended for you to do the entire time, except that he gave us free will. And at the time, I just wasn't making the best decisions. I wasn't choosing God. I was choosing good things, familiar things, comfortable things. And so I'm um, trusting the process is just being all in, quite frankly. You know, from your transition to college, from college, you know, you found your, your husband. How has that life uh, post-college, being a mom, being a professional, being a wife, how has that changed and, you know, propelled your faith? Wow. So it's no longer I who lives, right? But he who lives in me. And it's no longer I who I support, <laughs> but... Uh, three other individuals who are are dependent on one another. I wouldn't even say it's on me because it's not on me. You know, my husband is the head of our home, but we're such partners in this that it is a lot to consider. So I'll, I'll jump in just by saying the nature of my husband's work, okay? We're talking about a collegiate football coach. Um, and it, the level that he's trying to get to is all about wins and losses. There's, there's just no negotiation. Um, and I know you're a huge football fan, Monty. So <laughs> um, just the nature of his work, you know, are we going to be here next year? Are they going to extend his contract? Where are we going to be next year? I think that's been the most um, <laughs> difficult, and the most pleasant journey thus far, just in the context of my marriage, because every year it's, it's pending. You know, um, we, we live in an apartment because we're not sure when we'll be asked to leave or move somewhere else. And so just a lot of uncertainties and even some discomfort, right? I'd love to be in a home with a white picket fence. That's the dream, right? <laughs> and so that does that. That's not apples to apples to my life. In fact, it's more apples to citrus fruit because it's just not it's just not plausible right now in this season of our lives. And so um, trusting his decision making, uh, trusting his desire and, and supporting him in pursuance of his passion and his greatest heart desire is a lot to ask of a one of a woman who actually has her own profession of her own. So I am an HR professional. It is my passion, um, but I will tell you that the Lord is so faith, faithful that I, I I was able to achieve my dream job in this current season of my life in Lubbock, Texas, while He's doing the same thing. And so I didn't even have to cut a loss on my own or or settle. Um, he's just that faithful, and He recognizes that we both wanted those things. And so um, number one, His His career, and then. Number two, again, going back to being a working mom, is that I leave my children in the hands of another caretaker for eight hours a day. Um, I will tell you that I, I don't know that I'm ever going to be a home mom or a non-working mom. It's just not in my DNA. But, um, you know, we made decisions to have them placed um, at one specific daycare and we had to lift them because we were just we were just not satisfied. And so you have to listen to your kids. You have to measure them and, and watch them and observe. And it's a lot more attention to detail than it was when it was just me or me and Micah. And so 
having faith for the Lord to provide. I'll say the greatest test that I'm under right now is that the Lord and he answered a fleece, a, a really uncanny fleece. So you know it's him when he answers the weird things <laughs> that to throw out. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so I told him, I know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When do you want me to try for a boy? Because he's already promised me a son. And I said, okay, when? And I said, this has to happen and this has to happen. And that was my fleece. And sure enough, three weeks later, he answers it. And I'm blown away. I have a video of it because I could not believe my eyes. But um, now it's go time. And so it, it would be easy for me to say, well, I thought you were going to answer me in like two months. But no, he said, now, now is the perfect time. And I've got to trust him for that, even though the bank account would <laughs> not support that decision making, even though um, the time of year, I'm like, if I get pregnant now, that's smack dab in the middle of the next football season. That's crazy. You know, even though um, I have two others that are three and one. And so truly it's about the kingdom. And, and I believe that my faith is being tested only because it matters to the kingdom. And when I put myself aside and I say, I'm just a part of a bigger project, um, then it's humbling, right? And it's easier to surrender my own, my own will um, for his. Who is Brianna today? And what advice would you give to your younger self? I would say Brianna is whole. <laughs> Brianna Hill is whole. Um, and she's fully aware of who she belongs to. And that has been the difference. Um, because even when I was coming into to the knowledge of Christ um, in a deeper way, right? I always knew that he existed, but I didn't know him. Um, I still didn't understand my rights. And I also didn't understand the rights that I had to lay down in order to pick up my cross and, and, and be a true disciple. And so, you know, today I am whole. I, I have identity. I recognize that I am a daughter. Um, and, and the advice that I would give to my old self is to slow down and listen. Because I jumped out there. I tried to figure it out. I was going a thousand miles an hour. I always had to be right. But I never stopped long enough and stilled myself to listen to that very small voice that's constantly in communication with me. I only wish I knew the voice of the Lord like I know it today. What advice would you give to someone who um, doesn't know God, um, doesn't know the voice of the Lord, doesn't know uh, what it means to trust the process? <laughs> I would say start somewhere. Um, you know, people ask me all the time, what does your quiet time look like? And and I'll tell you, it looks different every time. Sometimes it's me praising and worshiping him. Sometimes it's me crying. Sometimes it's me um, making my petitions known. Sometimes it's me in intercession for our nation or for, you know, a specific region in Florida when y'all are dealing with a hurricane. You know, it's, it's, it's different. Um, but I would say that for me, the very first thing that I ever did was listen to what somebody was saying. And it wasn't about the scripture that they were reading. It was about when they were talking about their relationship and, and the intimacy that they have with the Lord. That drew me. That drew me in. And I, and I would ask questions. And therefore, if I ask and I seek and I knock, he will show up. And he did. He did. Even in spite of my own <laughs> um, willful, willful disobe disobedience at the time, um, I asked just the right questions or, or and I, I had just enough interest for him to blow me away you know um I cracked the door open and he just came through like a wave and so start somewhere um, but but ask those questions and listen um to the testimony of those who have intimate relationship with him because he really is that good he really is as good as they say he is I want to ask something about um 
like living a purposeful life. Uh, what does that mean to you? Okay, so living a purposeful life um, is, is living with intention. So every day that I wake up, because I know who I belong to, I know that the business I'm in, right? So I, I always tell my colleagues, I'm an HR business partner. Secondary, I'm a child of God first. And so even when I go to work, I know I'm positioned for ministry. You know what I'm saying? That is my vocation. And so, um, you know, every single day is with intention. Every single day I'm in communication with him. Now, I'm not asking him what color shirt I should wear. You know, not the incidentals, but I am asking him, um, is it possible that I'll go a different direction because I need to encounter somebody? You know, um, because because I always know that he's talking and, and he says my sheep know my voice. And so I'm constantly listening. Am I supposed to turn the radio on today or am I supposed to sit still on my right of work so that I might, he might hear what I need to do next? Um, or am I supposed to have an impression upon my heart about who I'm to pray for? Whose name did you just tell me that I haven't talked to in six months? Probably part of intercession, right? So um, just truly gleaning and pressing in um, to, to what the Lord might have to say because he is constantly talking and it is our responsibility to make disciples. And so um, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing every day I wake up is, is loving on my kids first. Cause let me tell you before I do anything externally, I'm loving on my first ministry well and I'm meeting their needs. And so um, making my husband a priority and honoring him and everything that I do and then loving on my children um, and letting them know that they're just that amazing to me and, and giving them those words of affirmation. And then I go out and um, do whatever the Lord would have me to do, boots on the ground. You talked a little bit of, uh, about, you know, how your dad and your mom raised you. Uh, how has your parenting style changed or is it similar? Um, I would say that it's it's changed. Now, I will say one of the things even my husband had to learn was <laughs> how to hear and then reciprocate the words "I love you" a whole lot more often than he was used to growing up himself. You know, we're we're intertwining two um, households, right? The way he was raised was completely contrary to my own. He was raised by his dad. I was raised by both of my parents, and so um, that in and of itself creates huge barriers and huge differences and, and so we've had to contrast that and ironically enough he has a whole lot more compassion for error than I do and so um, you know truly just balancing that out but in terms of how I was raised I would say that the one thing I've been very intentional about is allowing the supernatural to um, exist and so in other words if my um, kid is praying or doing something you know and I know I know that I know she's interacting with the Lord then I'm not going to stop her and I'm going to welcome that and I'm going to allow it to be our norm because truly we are spiritual vessels and so I think just um, allowing her to be that but not applauding so much supernatural as I do her obedience right um, then I think that's some of the things that I've that I've taken um, that differ from the way I was raised we weren't in church every Sunday I knew the Lord but I also practiced religion and not because of anything that they, they did wrong but my mom grew up Catholic. She does not practice that. She is um, non-denominational now. But you know, even even as an adult, I had to ask my dad, "Is mom is mom saved? Like, does she pray? You know, because I had never heard her pray." And then uh, with my dad, he's really structured, militant, um, Baptist, and very just very conservative. And so um, I'm I'm a lot more outspoken with my faith, and I and I can probably find Jesus everywhere if I you know what I'm saying. So. Um, <laughs> but trying to strike a balance. I'm not over either. 
I'm a normal person. I, I enjoy normal things, but I also know that I'm on a mission. And so um, I think that our faith is a lot more vocalized in this house than it was um, in the way I was raised. Any last words you want to leave with the listeners? Man, I would just say go hard, go hard. This is all we've got. We've got this one shot and there's a lot of people that need to know him. They need to know him well, um, not for, for what he can do, but for who he is. And so even if you don't have your Bible out and you're reciting scripture, be, be the presence, be the vessel that hosts the Holy Spirit and, and allow that light to just shine through you because he wants to use you. Um, he wants to uh, make himself known. And what better way than just to um, experience him in your day to day. So um, love him well and be loved, my friends. Awesome. Where can the listeners find you if they need advice or if they want you to come speak? Uh, where can they find you? Yeah, well, um, I've got Facebook and it's um, under Brianna Hill. Um, maiden name is Brown, um, but Brianna is spelled B-R-E-E-A-N-N-A. So Brianna Hill on Facebook and Brianna Talea on, on Instagram. And it's Brianna spelled the same way, but Talea is T-A-L-E-A. And then if you'd like to shoot me an email, I'm at um, Bree, B-R-T-E-E, I'm sorry, B-R-E-E-T as in tiger, dot brown at yahoo.com. And uh, my husband already informed me that I need to update that, but um, I'll get around to it. This concludes episode 25 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and to like us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.